This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome to the Wealth Initiative Podcast, volume number three, issue number 117, take two! That's right, folks, I screwed up the first time. So I'm DM Vince, and I'm sitting alongside DM Matt. Hello, everyone. And DM Nick. Good day, everybody. Who's fresh off, well, the two of you are fresh off Origins, right? Yavol, mein Herr. Yep, good times as always. That's good. Well, uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but this week we have a special uh, guest sitting in with us, uh, Tim. Uh, I'm not going to say his last name because he didn't give me permission to, but Tim, how are you doing this week? Good. I'm I'm other Tim. I'm not the same Tim who's been on the show before. I'm different Tim. Yes, You're evil twin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put an email to me, and I thought it was the other Tim, the web warlock, and I was like, yeah, sure, Tim, you can come on the show again. And he's like, wait a minute, I've never been on the show. I'm like, oh. Oh. Because Gmail only on my phone only shows part of the name, so I just saw Tim and assumed it was a Tim. Oh, wait a minute. His, he's not the evil Tim because he's not the evil twin. No goatee. That's right. I shaved that off. All right. So because, you're not you know the why? mirror universe Tim. Because I'm a, a ninja in disguise. Oh, I just uh-huh. blew it. I blew it. So, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and why you are you? Why I am me. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A lot of factors, of course. Uh, the The reason I'm interested in, in being on the show, uh, as a longtime listener of all the Wild Games productions, I, I like what you guys are doing. But my gaming background, I'm actually, uh, job-wise, I'm an educator. I work as a dean of curriculum at a high school. But I also write about comics and games for various websites. I, I am a regular columnist for Comic Book Resources. I do the When Words Collide column every Monday. I write for Comics Alliance, which is now back after being sold uh, by AOL to another company. And I write for the Tor Books website. And right now, my colleague and I, Mordecai Node, are doing a weekly feature on Appendix N, where we're rereading a bunch of Appendix N books, basically one book by each of the authors in Appendix N, and uh, offering our commentary on it. So that's sort of what I'm up to. Uh, Gaming-wise, I run... A whole bunch of games. I run Dungeon Crawl Classics for my kids and their friends. We've done that weekly, although we've taken a break as school has come to a close this year. I also do an after-school program at my high school for a bunch of teenagers where we do first edition AD&D. And then I play in a weekly, well, bi-weekly, Role Master game as well. So a lot of gaming in my life. That's definitely good. Wow. Yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, last time that we did a show blah, 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 three weeks ago, um, <clears throat> we talked about a new show coming on the network, and it finally is up. It's already got two episodes out, Spellburn Podcast, a Dungeon Crawl Classics podcast. Joined our little network with Jim is the host, and uh, Jeffrey, and I can't think of the third host name. I apologize, from Goodman Games. So uh, take a listen, spellburn.com. They are on iTunes as well, and they're part of our network. So give them a listen to a really good show. If you're trying to get into Dungeon Crawl Classics after you bought that giant, huge Pathfinder-sized book. <laughs> it's not I tried to look for one at Origins. I could not find one, but 
I gotta say, Dungeon Crawl Classics has gotten a lot of traction in the past year or so. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the book it's, is huge, but it's not as heavy as the Pathfinder book. No. So you can't use it as a deadly weapon now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I would say equivalent to a dwarven tank or D three dice, a D three damage. <laughs> Maybe. Possibly. I don't know. I'm trying to just figure out what's bigger that the Pathfinder beta book they sold at Gen Con because that thing oh, was ginormous too. Yeah, I heard that was ginormous. I think even like the- bigger than the finished product. Remember, I was thinking, remember that world's largest dungeon? Yes. That was ginormous as well. Yeah. Pages. Yeah. And then there was the uh, Champions 5th Edition. That, oh, God, yeah. That, which, if they actually, I can only imagine how big that book would have been if they actually used real paper as opposed to the paper-thin uh, phone book paper. Oh, you mean the sixth edition of Heroes or whatever it was? Yeah, the one Hero they actually, yeah. yeah, the ones where they actually did online ballistics tests to see if it could stop a bullet. <laughs> there was two volumes of that for sixth edition. I saw them at uh, the local books there, the recycle books here in Denton, and it took up like half the shelf. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, those things were ginormous. I'm like, why would I want to play a game with books that big? Two of them of that. Two it's of- it's champions. You need a degree in accounting to make your character. Oh my god! Oh. You had to have a degree in trigonometry to even. Yeah, it was insane. So yeah. Uh, I think the other reprints finally did come out for the A series, was it? Or the no. yeah, yeah, that is correct. And uh, I know there was going to be a free new module, uh, introduction module in Dungeon Ma- no Dragon Magazine. Excuse me. Yeah, I heard about that as well. It's uh... I haven't had a chance to look at it, so I was interested if anybody has looked at it or I, I think it's coming. It might have come out in July. I might be wrong, but it's, it's like a follow-on to the Slave Lord series, from what I understand. Was it? Okay, yeah, I'm interested to see what that is, and if anyone out there is listening, has read it or is going to read it by the time this comes out, Matt, uh, <laughs> let's know. So, Nick, why don't you uh, give us a start on your Origins report? Yeah, Origins this year. It's, I skipped last year, and uh, but this year, 2013 Origins, in one word, weird. <laughs> it was a weird convention. Uh, it was weird in, in one respect that my my daughter Anna was her first gaming convention she ever got to go to, so this was a real big experience for her. So, uh, I she came with me with my friend uh, my uh, to to Origins, and and Jeff uh, and his son Raceland and a whole bunch of us. So we all went down there on Wednesday afternoon. Went to get my pass. The power was out in the convention center. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. We, Wednesday night. Yep. I yeah, think... I did get up until I think eight o'clock or so. Huh. Because yeah. I went back later on and was able to get our passes. Okay, so other than the befuddlement of the power, how was the convention? Other than that, uh, other than that, we get there th- uh, Thursday. I went to pick up some generics. I didn't want to register for anything. And they were out of generic tokens Thursday morning. Jeez. Why? Because they had everybody who missed games the night before because of the power got out, reimbursed them with generic tokens. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was okay. Got some layer. Actually, I got to play the night before. We played um, Star Wars uh, X-Wing. Oh, yeah. The, uh, a Starship Miniatures battle game. Really yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, my my daughter, youngest player at the table, got to play the Millennium Falcon. Ooh! But 
like about 11 30 at night we we're both tired she was getting like to the point where like dad i just want to crash the damn thing <laughs> she's like i'm done <laughs> it's like I, I, we're not getting anywhere we're not even in the death star yet <laughs> um so that was Wednesday night, Thursday. We also played the Star Trek version. The Star Trek version they had set up on Thursday. Very cool, because it was like a giant size version of it. Oh, okay. It was like they had this huge section out where they had like, uh, they had Star Trek starships, like full scale, like full models of them that they used. And, the, and it, it was really fun. Uh, we also... Oh, we were going to get into the uh, D&D game that morning with uh, Dead Game Society. Oh. They ran, yeah, they ran uh, <clears throat> the uh, D series of modules. They okay. ran Vault of the Drow and uh, Descent the Deaths of the Earth. Was it Michael or Chad? Chad. Okay. Chad was there. Real nice guy. Oh, yeah. You know, I I met him. So he put a, you know, you know, face to the name on the podcast. And he said, oh, I can't get you in. We're full. They're, all their games are full. Yeah. By the way, which to me is like great. I'm like this old school revival is just a really wonderful thing. And seeing how all these other games like AD&D are starting to fill up at cons. But uh, that night he uh, at least got us through a little bit of a bridge version of what was it? Uh, uh, forgotten uh, Temple of Tharzadun. Hmm. You know that purple car- colored module? I think it's WG4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. World of Greyhawk series. We just got like within the front door of the module. He ran a real abridged version of it. But that was kind of fun. That was on Thursday. Uh, we also got um, to play uh, Call of Cthulhu when we were there, which was a kind of a mashup of Cthulhu and Godzilla. They did Cthulhu rides again by the folks of Rogue Cthulhu, who always do a great job at running Call of Cthulhu events. Cthulhu. So basically, they replaced Godzilla with Cthulhu mm-hmm. instead of G Force. It's C Force. So we were members of C Force to take out Cthulhu or at least hold him back. It was that was interesting. That was fun, and we got to play D Six Star Wars. Yay! Which my daughter had a had a blast. It was a great time, and she's got now she's starting to have an interest in playing that game. So um, I'm starting to get some more stuff for that. I love the West End game version. It's so theatrical. It fits the uh, whole Star Wars universe. I got a ton um, of those books, Nick, if you need some of them. Yeah, you know what? I picked up a few there. Then um, I can, uh, I'm can. i trying to get the revised edition stuff. So... Uh, let me know. I'll look through my stuff for you. Yeah, um, I I think her and her friends would be really uh, would really dig playing the D six version. It's it's a, such an easy game to play, but it's so much fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did and you, then we uh, did you see we, the uh, Shimmera Hobbies where they had the buy one get uh, three free? Well, they yeah. had a lot of the D six stuff. Yeah, I did pick up a few of that stuff. I picked oh, up corporate sever corporate sectors uh, uh, book. Uh, classic adventures book there was a couple others um so i did yeah so we did play some d6 star wars uh stuff with uh I forget the name of the the gaming group but they they uh when they run their one it's basically a campaign you keep your character and you go to different cons that they they host if you bring the same character if it goes up 
and and, yeah. and an experience. Um, the DM could register it, and you can you basically kind of have a campaign going. Yeah, and I guess it's been going on for for fifteen years now. Was it Spark something Spark. or Spark? That's it. Yeah, yeah Spark. Yeah, because it, it's basically kind of like Living Forgotten Realms or Living Greyhawk, except for D six Star Wars. Yeah, it's fantastic. So that was really fun. One of the more weird things. <laughs> What was it, Friday or Saturday night, I think it was. We were at our hotel room. We are playing uh, AD&D where I actually started a campaign with the anomalous subsurface environment uh, mo- uh, mega dungeon. <laughs> and about 11 o'clock at night, we hear this commotion outside. One of the guys with us, he's like, sounds like the zombie apocalypse going on outside. <laughs> he looks outside and he goes, oh, my God. He goes, there's, like, naked people on bicycles out there. What? <laughs> there, it was 11 o'clock at night, and riding through downtown Columbus were literally dozens of people either partly naked or completely naked Thanks. riding on bicycles. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. If you, I was like, what? <laughs> if if you certain years for Origins on Saturday, you can watch a very interesting parade. Yes. Go up High Street. So yes. I'm I'm not sure if that fell this year or not. I don't think it did. All I know is that there. Well, uh, yeah, I want to gouge my eyes out. <laughs> yeah. It's like watching Cthulhu rise from her leg. Um. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was interesting. I well, thank God my daughter didn't see; she'd be scarred for life otherwise. So that was like, yeah, like what I said. This this origins was weird. Yeah, it was kind of weird in that respect. But um, you know, they didn't have any swag though. Nope. You had a coupon book. Yeah, that's how Gen Con does it now. Yeah, no swag. Yeah. Well, yeah, remember that? Yeah. Coupon. Yeah. It's like what Gen Con said is they're ha- when you have a convention, you have to go to the manufacturer and say, like, can, in case of Gen Con, can you supply 45000 of a given item? Most places will be like, uh, no. No. So that's why you have no swag bag. In the case of Origins this year, they had 11,000 people, up 10% from last year. Yeah, actually, this year was pretty pretty packed. That yeah. Pretty uh, a friend of mine is a jewelry vendor, and they had a – a really good Thursday. It felt more like a Friday, Saturday to them. So I can only imagine what the rest of the weekend was. Yeah, it was, it was pretty darn busy. I would say for the most part. Also, also I saw Larry Elmore said hello to Larry. Yeah. Hey. Um, and so, you know, he talked with me and talked with my daughter because she does some kind of sketch work and gave her some advice. And I picked up a piece of artwork from him. Uh, what else went on? Uh, she li- the night of the dinner table live reading. We participated in that. That was real fun. So uh, that's always a real uh, treat to do. Did Tracy Hickman do his breakfast thing? You know, I don't know. He only does that at Gen Con. I think that yeah, that's at Gen Con. Yeah, he didn't have a booth at Origins. Uh, um, uh, the, I have a I'm friends with the guy who actually runs his uh, Gen Con booth, who organizes the inventory and all that. And yeah, they just do all of that stuff at Gen Con. Saw Kevin Sorbo though. Yeah, Kevin Sorbo was there. Yeah, was there. And then uh, he was 
peddling some movie that he did. Yeah, and it signing autographs. And then uh, the guy autographs. that played Mr. Fantastic was there. Yep. Ian or Eon, whatever his last name I is. I guess it was kind of a surreal moment because he was playing a Marvel Heroclix game and he was playing Mr. Fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> So from what I heard, that I'm like, that's yeah, that's kind of surreal. Yeah, so, <laughs> I guess he was having a good time, but you know, it was kind of a weird con, but it was it was still fun. Yeah, you no, know, I still had a good time. My daughter wants to come back next year, which is great. I'm I'm glad she's she got the full geek experience. Mm. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was really good. I had hey, fun. hey Nick, how old is your daughter? She is 13. Okay, because my son is twelve, and I'm I'm just at that stage where I'm wondering if I should start bringing him to some conventions. But if your daughter had a good time, maybe it's about time to try it. You know, I would have to say Origins uh, compared to compared to Gen Con is I think a much more family friendly uh, environment, yeah. despite the naked bike riders out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, good to know. But you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that they have in Origins overall from all different types of uh, people who are putting on games for stuff for all ages, right? which is great. And they do a fantastic job with it. I mean, I know gamers who have families of their own and they, they plan their summer vacations around origins. They bring their kids and everything and everybody has a good time. So if you're looking for a big uh, convention to do that, I think origins would not be uh, a bad place to start. Yeah, Origins is far more laid back than Gen Con. Okay, yeah. so I was going to ask, yeah, if, because Gen it's, Con just seems overwhelming. Yeah, or, Origins side. is a great way to break yourself into conventions. Origins was actually the first convention I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to that Origins, and that's what made me want to try out Gen Con. But yeah. Origins is more you can go, you can wander, you don't feel like you have to rush from place to place. Everything's contained in the same building. Oh, Geez, that's a lot helpful. Right. So you're not going through six different hotels over a massive downtown area. The There is some stuff in one of the hotels, but it's connected to the convention center as in it's and, actually and it's, part of the building. Like seminar stuff. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it, it's a far better experience. Um, the it's, it, Origins is interesting because like it's it's a it's a large national convention, but it's not so large that like like. Like Matt's saying, you don't feel overwhelmed. Right. It still has a a, a little bit of a local convention feel. To right. It. It's it's in that in between of being big and small. I think. So. Yeah. It's, it's a nice happy medium. Right. <laughs> yeah. It actually is. And with the uh, day passes they do on Saturdays, you can get your entire family in for twenty bucks. Yeah. So well, I mean, if you just want to wander the exhibit hall, you can do that. Your entire family for twenty dollars just to get a feel for it. And I could recommend a good hotel that's close by. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My- uh, I, I heard like what Matt was saying about, you know, Gen Con, rush, rush, rush. I mean, Chad was saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, you know, it's so much more laid back here. Yeah. It's like you can feel like just take your time and enjoy it. I'm like, see, see? We, yeah. we're doing it right here in the Buckeye State. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> it, I've learned to make that take make gen con like that i schedule no events the only games i'll play are hero clicks games that i can drop in and out of whenever i feel like it i schedule nothing i do what i want when i feel like it and and i have fun i'm not going to have a jam-packed schedule at gen con i refuse to do that 
it's I'm not going to spend. Oh no, if I if, oh crap, I'm running late. I need to go to get here and there. No, that's not fun. That's not a vacation. That's a job. But I think I am. I'm going to mull this over a little bit more later this year. I think I'm going to run a couple of events next year at yeah. Origins. Yeah, I think I'm going to do a couple of AD and D games. All right, so, awesome. So um, uh, I just seeing that the popularity is back. You know, or at least the demand is there. I'm. Th- I think I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the a- old the AD and D stuff and like the old uh, Marvel superhero stuff. That's the first stuff that sells out at Gen Con. That and yeah. anything Cthulhu. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Anything by Chaosium or whoever. Yeah. Yeah, but AD&D. yeah, the, there's very much a demand, especially right now with the way D and D's in flux. Yeah. The, uh, everyone's wanting to go back to the edition they love the best at this point, considering that's kind of what uh, Wizards is trying to do. It's- Come back to us in 2011 when I ran uh, the basic D&D games. I had a flood of people asking me to get in the game. So at Gen Con, I mean, people were emailing me asking me to get in the game. I was like, no, I, I can't take more than six players. That's enough. So yeah, I'm thinking. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go through the whole slew of adventures I got, either you know, printed or PDF, and see what I could pick out and would be a real good some real, something really good for a four hour slot. Okay. Um, Matt, how about your experience at Origins? Well, mostly I spent my time in the uh, miniatures hall playing Heroclix. My goal was to accumulate as many of the convention exclusives they had uh, and resell them on eBay so I could act to help fund my Gen Con. So it was kind of, yeah, I'm one of those guys. You go to a convention to help fund another convention you're going to. Yeah. It's that's interesting, right? And it actually worked. It's the scary thing. Wow. <laughs> yes, I I go to this convention to make money to go to the next convention. So, but it was just You're lots there. and lots of hero clicks. Was I? Yeah, I am. I I carpooled up with a bunch of friends, so I didn't get to stay real late because they're they are mostly just hero clicks players. They don't that go and they're not big gamers when it comes to anything else. So. They weren't all that interested in exploring other things at the convention, so I got to see a little bit of the exhibit hall and mm-hmm. stuff there, but it was kind of just like, oh, here, play more Hero Clicks. Must fun Gen Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like my best old-school purchase the week of Origins actually happened a few days prior at Half Price Books. I went there, and I saw a bunch of uh, first edition and basic modules. I'd, yeah. Yes, but no, what was even better was the prices. I picked up Midnight at Dagger Alley, a still an original shrink, Gem and the Staff 01. Wow. Yeah, it has the KB Toys uh, price tag still on it. Oh, man. Uh, the Sinis- yeah, you won the original uh, monochrome uh, character sheet book, still complete. The Temple of Death. Quagmire and uh, Drums on Fire Mountain and Tomb of Horrors for 10 bucks. Wow. Quagmire? All those modules, other than Tomb of Horrors, were 99 cents. I'm like, dang. Yeah. And they were in great shape, too. Tomb of Horrors was like four bucks. Oh, no. Well, yeah. If you go to a half price books and they don't have any gamers in the store, they don't know how to price the stuff. Right. Well, the thing is, I've seen those same modules priced for four bucks there. It really depends on which buyer bought them. 
Mm. So, I mean, you guys have this magical half price books that I keep hearing about, and I've never actually seen one. I'm always have, jealous. They're not yeah. use, that's why. Oh, nope. You poor thing. I, yeah, we have nothing like that. Oh, this past weekend, I oh, actually, this weekend up in Columbus, they had their giant regional warehouse sale where all the stores send a bunch of stuff up. They get a, one of the buildings at the state fairgrounds, and everything in that building is $2 or less. Oh. What? Yes. So I, Why wasn't I notified? Well, if you liked them on Facebook, you yeah, would, okay. they put it on their Facebook. They also did one like last month in Indianapolis that I didn't make it out to either, which made me a very sad panda. If you're on their mailing list, they do the same thing. They'll send it to you. Yeah. Yep. And then you also get the coupons. The coupons are glorious when you get 40 and 50% off one item coupons. And then I hit up every half price books with all, with many pr- uh, prints of the coupon. Yes, I do the exact same thing. <laughs> it's like what, fifteen in this area of North Texas, so I can hit them all up right. and get forty percent off each time. Yeah, it's yeah. A little right. I have like now your secret is out. <gasps> like yeah. no one else has done that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like the one the one closest to my house still has some judges guild stuff. I'm just waiting for the price to drop a little bit because they're. I forget. Yeah. yeah, it's like right now they're ten bucks. So I'm like, yeah, that's a bit much for what they are. But once they drop down to like five, because uh, Jim Wampler already went there and raided most of the stuff. Damn. There's Damn one near me that has the Judges Guild stuff for like two bucks if you want me to take a look for you. Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm not really willing to exert a lot of effort to get it. It's more if I, I see it cheap, I'll pick it up, but I'm not going to like pay shipping or like whatever for them. So I'm lazy when it comes to that. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. All right. So well. I had a, I had a pretty cool old uh, old school score via Craigslist recently, which oh. I never use ever. Yeah. I, I don't know what made me check out Craigslist, but I said, man, you know, I haven't checked out Craigslist in years. Let's see what's on it. And I found a guy who was selling a bunch of AD&D books. And I, the only reason I was interested at all, I mean, I own all that stuff, but because I do that after school program, the kids are always asking for extra reference copies. So I saw that he had basically two copies of all the first edition AD&D stuff. Nice. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And he had a ton of lead figures from the 70s and 80s. Ooh. And so I said, huh, this is interesting. And I'm looking at his lot, and then he has some pictures of stuff. And he also had the first three Ardune Grimoire books. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had the white box minus the box. He had the three books from the OD&D set. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I said, huh. And he was asking $500 for it all. And I was like, well, I'll give you 150 and he took it, and so I got all that stuff for 150 bucks. Wow! I was very happy to get it. Yeah. What a score, man! Definitely. Oh yeah. I'm looking on Craigslist now since he said that. Tim, <laughs> you're my new best friend. He's <laughs> selling the three icons, dragons that they came out with Red Wizards of the Coast: the Red Colossal, the Legend of Drift's, uh scenario pack with a white dragon. It was at the ice dragon on the white dragon. And then the blue dragon, all for 250 bucks. Right. Yeah, usually Craigslist is people selling like 90s image comics for $5 each or something. It's not usually the place to find great scores. But sometimes, I guess this guy used to, he's actually a deacon at his local church. And he used to play in the 80s, but he just stopped playing completely. He's been sitting on this stuff since then. And, you know, once he heard I was going to use it for an after school program, he was he was all over it. So it was a good deal. Here's a good one for the listeners out there if they want to call the person in Texas. Two hundred dollars for 
a basic rule book, 1981, Player's Manual, 1983, and then he has all the AD&D books. He has the A1 Module 2, A4, B1, B3, B4, B1 to 9 Adventure, C1, C2, S2, I3, UK1, X1, X3, X5, EX1, EX2, N1, CM3, G1 to 3, U1, U2, U3, D&D 2nd Edition, all the books, plus splat books, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. D&D uh, and the Dark Fairy Troll. This must be Rollades. He didn't put Rollades on it. Opportunity and Evil Ruins, 1983, all for $200. That's not bad. You know what's funny? You're reading off all the module codes. I knew exactly every one. <laughs> Sticking <laughs> my head. Covers, yeah. That's Hidden Shrine Tomojan. That's Tomb Horrors. That's the. <laughs> it's against the Cult of Reptile God. Yep, I know him. And then someone's selling fourth edition for 15 bucks. Hmm. Mm, getting that. Yeah. So that's that. Let's head into some sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice. Come on, Nick. Sage. sage advice. We're going to have some sage advice. You had some cats in the background going, Row. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, we got a bunch of voicemails this week. Uh, Did you say we had a plethora? Uh, probably a plethora, yeah. First one is a really important one. It's uh, for a good cause, and we're going to be playing it on all the podcasts. Uh, it comes from Ronald Korn, and uh, he set up a program for kids after school, much like how you were talking about, Tim. Awesome. His is uh, uh, really detailed. I, I'll let him speak for himself because he recorded the voicemail earlier for me, so let's just get right into that. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Ronald Korn, uh, principal at Haddon Heights High School and amateur gamer. Uh, I should say amateur game designer. Um, recently, I kind of hit the wires with a, a request or a plea for old school gaming um, and so some supplies to Haddon Heights High School, um, trying to get a gaming group off the ground. And, uh, you know, certainly budgets are hard in high school, so we're looking for anyone out there who could possibly uh, donate some supplies. Uh, we're looking for... Anything that you have, anything that, uh, you know, ranging from minis to dice to uh, old school books, um, any condition, uh, any edition, any game, uh, really we're looking, you know, I'm trying to raise a new generation of gamers and uh, looking at any means and uh, any available way to do so, especially looking at playing some of the classics. Uh, so if you have any um, AD&D materials or basic Dungeons & Dragons, uh, any uh, first edition, second edition, old player's handbook, um, old DM's guide, old adventures, it doesn't matter, whatever condition, uh, we will certainly uh, you know, take what you have. Uh, again, Ronald Korn, Principal Haddon Heights, uh, looking for donations to help support our gaming club. Um, appreciate anything you can do. Thanks. Hi, uh, yeah, Ronald Korn again, and if you have any, um, if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached uh, by email at ronaldcorn at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I am on Facebook as well as at Ronald Korn, and uh, I appear on some of the blogs as Demicorn, D-E-M-I-C-O-R-N. Uh, you can find me at the Kobolds uh, Press blog site. I tend to work there a little bit, and every once in a while on the um, you know the other gaming forums. Well, there you have it. Uh, I know he's been working hard with that project in school, and uh, the parents are supporting him, which is you know very good because a lot of parents are usually against these games. Uh, and he has uh, headed up a large program there at his school, and 
the school is not really supporting, obviously, because it's not really a school-funded program, but as principal, he's actually you know organizing the club in his free time, so he's just looking for some help for these kids. So I figured it'd be a good idea. So far, he just replied to me. He had got some pretty good stuff from Richard Lorio from Rogue Games, which does Colonial Gothic. Wolfgang Bauer donated a ton of stuff from Cold World Press, including his new Deep Magic Kickstart. John Wick donated all his PDFs, and he got a ton of material from Fred Hicks at Evil Hat. And Frog God Games donated a complete set of core books, adventures, and even a screen. Wow. So, yeah, so if you guys are interested in uh, donating, hit up Ronald Corn. That's corn with a C and spelled like the actual corn at gmail.com. And uh, he'd appreciate just anything for these kids. So I think it's a good cause. It is. That's great. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, in my experience with that, and I'll have to hook up with Ronald so we can we can share some ideas. Uh, the way my program started after school, a few years ago I actually started just as part of a grant-funded after-school program running a gaming club, uh, and we just used 4th edition, and it wasn't very popular. Hey, we only got a couple people interested, a couple kids showed up, and then they stopped coming. And then this year some kids asked me to run. They're like, oh, I heard you play D&D. Can you run something for us? And I said, sure, but it's going to be 1st edition. They didn't know what that meant. They didn't care. So I started running it and just just for fun after school on Fridays and then eight people showed up and then 12 people showed up. And now we have by the end of the year, we had like 38 kids showing up. Wow. And it actually became an official school sponsored activity that was under this 21st century grant program. And so we did get some money for supplies. Mostly I donated my own stuff anyway. But uh, just the fact that we could actually pay for additional staff to help me out. And we are all one of the younger teachers is actually running a summer game design workshop for teenagers as well using the same funding. So it's a it just exploded in popularity this year. It was great. Wonderful. That is wonderful. The only other thing I've heard of is I think it who was was the owner of Necromancer Games? Is that Bill Webb? I can't think that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, a couple of years ago when I spoke to him, he had uh, started a program in the summer camp where his son went for sword and wizardry and uh they had about a hundred something kids showing up for camp just to play the game. So it was a, Whoa. yeah. So we organized like this massive campaign with all these DMS and everything. So that's the only thing I've ever heard of a mass scale like that. So, yeah, that was what was great about our program is it started out with just me DMing and then it, it became me and one of my colleagues DMing. And then we had so many kids were like, well, we've got to teach you how to DM. And about half a dozen kids took up the challenge to basically learn the rules and become a DM. And that's great. I mean, that's what, where you really see the skills, the, the the academic and social skills at play when kids take over control of the game and, and run their own their own campaigns. It's awesome. I hope the kids picked up, you know, the rules aren't solid in the book, you know. You can always Oh yes. <laughs> they they none of them were, were were slavishly following the rules for sure. Yeah, I tell you, because some DMs like that are pretty hard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, speaking about situations like remember that uh situation I told you my gaming group, uh Nick, with that DM that was a pain in the butt oh yeah that's just mm-hmm. what escalated even further it it went to the next level huh oh yeah he took it to another level because we all decided to leave the gaming group and go form our own gaming group oh really yeah well, good for you and then we had enough people to run three groups practically wow so we left because more people joined and then he decided to go down to the store and try to get us kicked out of the store but it backfired on him, and he got one of getting kicked out. <laughs> wow. What a, okay, what a creep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> he tried to say, like, we were threatening him not to come to the store and everything. And all we said was it might not be comfortable if you come to the store because people like to have fun and not sit in silence because they're annoyed at somebody. 
he took it as a threat and he went to the game owner's store and said that we were threatening him and they looked at him and went talked to us and they said no and they threw him out <laughs> what a creep yeah the people at the reaper gaming store are pretty good people so anyway yeah it's enough of that thanks ronald corn right, we got another voicemail i'll play that one Ian, big balls i have a question for you when i started playing there was a there was a real sense of wonder. So now when I DM, I'd like to recapture that old school feeling of not knowing exactly what to expect. I don't know if you had any advice on how to capture that as a DM. Meaning, as a player, you you would come across a troll, and now as a veteran, you'd be you would know exactly what to do. Um, same thing with say a fire giant or or anything that you've run across before. I don't know if you have any advice, other creatures, other resources to use to kind of get that that sense of dread. As you may remember, when you first started playing, you were careful but kind of excited because you weren't sure what was going to happen. Any advice is good. I appreciate it. Great show. Keep up the good work, fella. Well, thank you, DM Big Balls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Basketballs, right? Yeah. 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 He is right to the fact that you know you played the game for so long that you know veterans are just like meh. They come across a powerful monster and like oh it's a troll meh fire giant meh. Yeah, uh, as far as making it like that again, that's kind of hard to do. But as a GM, you can always just switch things around, describe creatures differently, add different abilities to them, let the players surmise what they think the creature is but never actually tell them what the creature is so they never know yeah i think that's the biggest key I, i've seen that even with my kids who are who are 12 and 9 years old even though they haven't really been playing for very long they still know what an orc is for example and yeah. so if you say there's three orcs that's completely different than describing three humanoids with saliva dripping from their teeth and and just never saying the name it makes it completely mysterious exactly yeah advice well, I I think you uh, really uh, hit it on the head that this sometimes after a while for us old guys, you know, we maybe we not jaded, but we just get used to certain things. And uh, some of the things you could do is, yeah, just go with the description of the creature. Don't necessarily say what it is. And that helps a little bit. Uh, I think also if you can just kind of shake it up a little and kind of uh, and try to do something a little different. I Again, I got to push this anomalous subsurface environment. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really something different that you could put into your D&D game. Uh, it might not be for everybody. It might be a little too gonzo, but it's worth looking into. Yeah. And, and if anything, it'll give you some ideas how to run your current game. How to, you know, Maybe you could borrow some ideas from it. You know, borrow some monsters from it. Um, so... Yeah, trying to you know capture you know that lightning in a bottle, yeah, you know, it's and I try to do it a second time around can be kind of difficult. Yeah, the best thing to do is describe what the players guess and never tell them if they're right or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, try to mine for ideas in some obscure sources. Yes, most yeah. players have read through the monster manuals. Have they read every issue of Dragon? Probably mm-hmm. not. Dungeon? Probably not. So there's a good place. Or if you want to take it a step further, go into White Dwarf. You can find some things that players haven't seen there. Pull out your Judges Guild, your Roll Aids. They're th- mm-hmm. They think when because when people think they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, they're going to be expecting stuff made by TSR, not stuff that's compatible from other companies. So sometimes you can catch them off guard with that. Absolutely. Or 
you can take existing adventures and modules and just put a little bit of a different spin on them. Like in my home game, I'm running Castle Amber in Ravenloft. My players have – one of my players actually said, we know what to do. Like so far in the every, the campaign, they hit a domain. They know they're supposed to kill the Lord and move on. They're in Castle Amber. They have no idea what they're doing. Eh. They're like – they just – they're like they are so baffled by everything they've seen. They're old school gamers, but they've never actually played through this module, so – Castle Amber is one of those wacky modules with just a bunch of random stuff. And when you think about it, it's like, why is this stuff here? So you use the uh, ecological uh, plot holes that a lot of monster, uh, modules may have and use it to your advantage. Why did the Rakasha never actually leave the one room with the fireplace? My they want warm. <laughs> right. My players were actually asking that to the point where they actually thought everything in the Castle Amber wasn't able to actually leave the room. That was part of the curse. They, that's what the conclusion they came to, because they're like, this makes no sense. Why wouldn't the ogre open the door? So, yeah, so they were using a lot. So they just got horribly confused by, it's kind of just a really large place with a bunch of random stuff thrown in, and they're trying to make sense of it when there is no sense to be made. And now they, instead of like, they're just trying to figure out what they're supposed to do as opposed to just, okay, we go through here, figure out who's in charge, and kill them. Uh-huh. So, but really? yeah. Yep. Yeah, I also recommend uh, James Raggy's Esoteric Creature Generator. I don't know if oh, you guys yeah, have used I that. that. Yeah, that's a lot of fun for creating new monsters. And even just the advice up front, the, the first few pages of that book give you advice about how to make old monsters seem new and unusual. Yeah, just warp them. Change their abilities around. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Hackmaster is really good at that. The old Hackmaster Fourth Edition, the Monster Matrix, all different ways you can like really, you know, twist regular monsters. Like I've made made hobgoblins. I got to a point where the, my my players were just like slicing through things left left and right. So like I beefed up the hobgoblins. I made them uh, one eyed. Red Venusian Hobgoblins. Uh-uh. The Venusian ones, they have a 70% chance of exploding. After you oh, kill that's them. right. Yeah, they explode. So, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of threw them for a loop. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's a whole bunch of different material out there, kind of, at least for monsters, traps. Uh, Grimtooth's traps, another good way. Yeah, you find all that stuff. If you're looking yeah. for new trap material, yeah. that's really good to farm. Anyway, let's get to our next voicemail. And here it comes. Hey, guys. This is DM Keith, uh, long-time listener, second-time caller. I've actually seen or listened to every single one of your episodes in order. So um, anyway, I was calling for some advice. Um, like many of your listeners, I've played D&D back in the days when I was 14, you know, 16 or 18 or so in the 80s, and I took a very long break and then started up again recently, which has been very fun. However... As it turns out, uh, my wife is uh, 100% anti-D&D. So what I basically had to do is kind of sneak around a little bit. Um, I've done some things like I covered my books with plain brown paper, worked for a little bit. However, she saw it the other day, and and when she saw me, she started asking me how my unicorn was doing and whether my elf had killed the goblin and so on and so forth. So I was wondering if you guys had any tips or ideas about um, how to get – your D&D kicks in without uh, drawing too much attention to yourself. Um, any advice would be appreciated. Keep the shows coming. Thanks. Bye. Well, 
Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's going to happen with a lot of people, uh, especially married couples, especially when one of them's not into gaming, and they're going to make fun of it, especially if they were people that thought it was stupid. So uh, luckily, I don't have that problem. But uh, as far as just don't talk about it, A, don't have the books out. Don't let your wife see the books. If she happens to see them, I don't know. You know, Just like you said, nothing you can do about it. Right. And if it's... If it's- and if it's nothing more than her just making little joking comments or whatever, just go roll with them. Maybe yeah. make fun of the game yourself. Don't don't let it bother you. Because not everyone's going to like it. Some people are going to think what we do and when we enjoy our games are silly, much like some people will think people that paint themselves orange and black and go to Bengals games or uh, football games would uh think we think they may be silly for going out. I mean, it, yeah, always say if she says, how's your unicorn? Say, I don't know, i got to put my nerd glasses on to see where it is. Right. Or you just start rambling on in a, uh, well, actually, let me tell you about my character. And yes. You, yes. <laughs> and, ju- and just and poke fun at it yourself. Don't take your gaming too seriously and don't let it, uh, your wife offend you. Because it, 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 I doubt she's like, yeah, she may think it's silly or whatever, but it's not like she's saying, oh, no, you're going to burn in hell. We need to go to church right now and throw some holy water on you. <laughs> right. So, yeah, just roll with the punches. And where I game at one the uh, guy's house, his wife's not really a gamer, and she'll come down when we're gaming and just try to embarrass him and make him horribly uncomfortable. And we all get a good laugh out of it and go with it, but... But she's not like telling him, no, you can't play or anything like that. So you can always take the childish method, find something that she likes and make fun of it back. I don't it, know. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with some good natured ribbing. It, it, there's a there's a difference between if it was like, no, you can't play as opposed to, oh, I think that's silly and I'm just going to tweak you a little bit about it. So. And you can always say to her, you know what? I'm playing with unicorns and fantasy. At least I'm not going to the strip bar looking at chicks and giving them dollars. That's why I generally say to my wife, she's perfectly fine with uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah. My my wife's not a gamer at at all for the most part. I mean, yeah. she she tried to play a couple of times, but you know, it's not like she makes fun of it or anything. She's perfectly fine with it, and she compared to other pursuits, uh, a man of my age could be doing exactly. I mean, this is rather tame. And, and also for the fact that I'm at least trying to include my kids into something that is creative, that is fun, and for the most part, it's safe. Yeah, so care either. for for his wife to make fun of it, yeah, you know what, you're going to get that. That's, uh, you know, so what, big deal. I mean, but if it gets to the point where, you know, I mean, <laughs> they say you can't play, uh, I, I don't know. Fine. I, I, you guys are way nicer about this than I would be because this, like, that's a big deal if someone just is blatantly mocking what you're interested in. It sounds like a, a respect issue in the relationship. Yeah. I, it's a big deal for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just give it a pass. I wouldn't say it's the same as like making fun of someone for the shirt they're wearing. This is like a fundamental issue in the relationship. I would have a big problem with it personally. So, what your advice would be to him then? What? Uh, explain to her why it's important. Why is this yeah. gaming hobby important to you? What what do you gain from it? And if it's that important to you and you can explain that to her and she still doesn't respect it, then you need to work on that relationship. That's that's a big issue. We don't know how far it's gone and how, how long it is. It sounds like it's just some natured fun that she's having, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, we don't know how far she's gone as far as her, you know, you know, poking fun at him. So no, we'll just give a simple one. Just get a divorce, dude. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not do that. No, no. Maybe not yet. <laughs> no, maybe they need a good role playing session where they act out what their frustrations are. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes, I think this was some wacky sitcom plot at some point. Oh, uh, probably. But I do think like if the uh, fighter. The issue, I wonder if the issue with the relationship thing isn't one of genre, too. Like, maybe she doesn't respect the idea that he's playing a fantasy game. Because I know my wife doesn't play role-playing games. She understands it, and she, she doesn't have a problem with it or anything. But she is interested in other genres other than fantasy. And she's more she's more likely to join into a game that would be like a sci-fi adventure or, or like an espionage adventure than a high fantasy game. So, I, you know, if she's making fun of the unicorns, maybe she has, has an issue with the, the childhood fantasy tropes right. and maybe yeah. she would be maybe she'd mo- be more amenable to a game that was something that she was actually interested in genre wise right or she that may be so she could be reverting back to high school days when they, people just made fun of it and maybe she was part of the cool click true yeah that oh. just made fun of it because it was cool to make fun of it i don't know i'm trying to remember i've listened to way too many gaming podcasts but someone was talking about how they played some D&D at like a friend's house or a summer camp or someone somewhere. And then their parents, though, was like, oh, no, you can't play D&D. That's it's evil. The devil. But so when they went to the bookstore, he, they saw Star Frontiers. So they're like, can I play that? They're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. So it could just be something like, well, D&D, that's for nerds. I, because they had preconceived notions of what Dungeons oh, and Dragons... but the Star Wars thing looks pretty cool. Right. It could it could be something like that. Maybe there's some preconceived notions with just the name Dungeons that's and Dragons. probably it's the, the whole stereotypes. Yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking about my my parents' generation. I mean, they never openly mocked me, but, but my dad would probably make some snide comments about Dungeons and Dragons as far as the genre is concerned. Yet he and my mom would go to, like, how a host a murder mystery uh dinners and they would do role playing in those how to host a murder mysteries and so they would play role playing games but they wouldn't think of it that way because it wasn't called dungeons and dragons they were larping they were larping that was yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly how to host a murder mystery is nothing more than a larp yep one of my friends growing up we every time we played D, his mom flipped out and took his books away but when we played twilight 2000 she was like oh that's fine yeah, weird. Yeah. It's like, dude, what's the difference? It just doesn't say Dungeons and Dragons. Twilight yeah, 2000 never had a bad Tom Hanks movie. Eh. Oh, good point. All right, let's <laughs> get to our last voicemail here. Hey, it's Ecostock calling. Um, I guess first of all, been enjoying the, uh, the podcast for quite a long time. Been enjoying your forums for uh, a much shorter time. But uh, we get pretty much to the point right away, and that is, I've been messing around with adventure design for a little while here, and the question that I've got for you guys is, do you prefer sort of a short, one-evening blitz-style adventure, or do you like sort of a longer adventure that require multiple sessions to play, where you leave the party hanging in limbo for weeks at a time before you get back together? Interested in your thoughts? Thanks. Bye. <laughs> That was uh, actually Andrew from uh, N Magazine, one of the editors and writers. Oh, cool. And Deco stopped on our forums, and he wrote, wrote me and said, hope you got my voicemail. I was chasing dogs through the bushes at the time. <laughs> That's oh, well. Sounds weird, and he's like out of breath. He said he was running after his dog that got loose. So I was like, That's a good time to call. <laughs> but uh, 
Who wants to tackle that question? Uh, as far as like either one shots or like multiple session adventures, doesn't matter to me as long as the adventure is solid. It's a good adventure. I, I that's what I look for. Does it have an interesting story? Does it have good use of monsters, traps, tricks, riddles? Does it have interesting NPCs in it? Does does it when you read through it? Does it make is it logical? Does it have, does it flow? Those are the important ones to me. As as far as length, it doesn't matter to me at all. Okay, I like to I like to read the longer ones, but given the the realities of my life, the one shots are actually more practical. Whether I'm writing my own adventures or whether I'm I'm reading or, or buying somebody else's, I can more easily run one shots then I can run an ongoing campaign because even if I play with my kids after the first session or two, they want to create all new characters and go to an all new setting. They don't have the attention span for a long campaign right now. <laughs> I personally like uh, long campaigns. I don't like just doing one shots personally. Uh, cause I hate rolling up a character. Then, you know, next week you're rolling up another character. So, uh, that's usually why I, I tend to DM cause I could just keep things going on and on and on and on. And people like that. So they don't have to DM. So yeah. Matt. Yeah. I, can go either way with it um what my group actually does is we'll have like our main game that's the longer campaign but when we start having people unable to make it or can't having to cancel out for our gaming session that's when we start doing one shots of a like a different game like uh we one shotted uh, top secret si we said that and everyone will have their top secret si character but only those that show up will play in the game. It'll be done in one session. And so that way we kind of have a campaign, but it's not like it's the main focus with those characters. They're like, it, it's, they're more like a sitcom or a television show uh, season. Oh, okay. So that way it's like everything's self-contained, but you could have a larger overarching story of the season at, intermixed with our main campaign that goes week to week. So we we go both ways when it just depending on attendance. But when everyone's there, it's the massive grand campaign. We all love it. But when two or three people can't show up, we still want a game. So that's when we start doing one shots. Right. Cool. And I've actually I've been playing since 1981, not continuously, but but, you know, frequently. I've never actually seen a campaign come to an end, in all, either as a DM or as a player. It's always just kind of petered out because people stopped showing up uh, or or I stopped going because something in my life changed. Like I've never actually seen a campaign come to a close the way it maybe was planned to ever in my life. I'd say I have, I have an 80% ratio of closing my campaigns out. I can't leave it hanging. Yeah. It's been even, frustrating. <laughs> even if I have to like end it with four players out of like eight, I'll end it. Just so I'd have it ended. Yeah. My players tend to end the campaigns for me. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Destroying the whole dungeon in itself. Yeah, it's, people get annoyed. They just start out. Yeah, I'd say, okay, yeah, you destroyed the Temple of Elemental Evil. Good job. Quest is over. <laughs> the end. <laughs> right. The end. Ta-da! Uh, anyway, so before we get on to the emails that we have here, Nick, we've skipped over your star segment. Oh, that's okay. I, I'm used to it. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Okay, anyway, yes, we do have a couple of stars coming from iTunes. And to remind everybody, you can look us up on iTunes. 
just go to the iTunes store, type in Roll for Initiative in the search, and you can click your way over to doing reviews. And also we have all of the podcasts out there for your listening pleasure. So we have two reviews, one from Ham Taker. Gives us a five-star review. Mm, ham. Uh, he said, like car talk for D&D. Okay. I'm on episode 43 right now, and I'm dead set on listening to them all. These guys have a lot of experience with RPGs and have a lot of great insight. The old school spirit is alive with these guys, and they're doing a great job sharing it. So thank you, Ham Taker. Bring me a sandwich, please. And we have another one. It's five stars from Tebow Max. <laughs> and he says, Road Trip becomes a pilgrimage to forgotten realms. Okay. And he says, several months ago, I, w- I was preparing to drive from work from Mobile, Alabama to Canton, Michigan and back about four days of driving time. Uh. I decided to look up podcasts to download for my journey and I stumbled across Roll for Initiative. As most of the previous reviewers, I was a child of the 70s, 80s. Because of the tedium of my work life, I've been looking for a creative outlet for quite some time. The RFI podcast blew my mind for nearly four straight days, illuminating AD&D information in an entertaining forum and unlocking my creativity to build a complex new campaign world that the 1980s version of me would have never dreamed possible. I had started forming a gaming group to play, but quickly realized the logistics for getting a group together somewhat regularly would be nearly impossible. Boom! RFI comes through again with their Roll20Net podcast with a couple of the creators of a new online tabletop. Always thanks, RFI, for showing me the path back to my DM creativity. You are not only giving us a walk down memory lane, you are giving us the tools to reawaken our imagination in a way that only AD&D can. Cheers, DM T. Bonimus Maximus. Cool. That is an awesome five-star review, and I'm, we're so glad that we can inspire people like you to come back, enjoy the game, and also finding ways of you know, getting in contact with players like Roll20. In other forums out in, in forums out there, where you can, you know, find players at least play through an online type uh, environment. So thank you very much. Cool. Thank you very much for the reviews and keep them coming. Yes. Okay. So our first email comes from Dave the Moderately Neato. He's upgraded since his last uh, iTunes for Dave the Cool. The moderately Neato. Okay. He upgraded himself. Very cool. He was sitting, basically, I'm going to sum the email up. Basically, he was sitting there reading. He looked at page 104 and under the clerk's turning on dead table, and he noticed that paladins were listed there. Now, he wanted to know when his evil clerk can, you know, turn a do-gooder paladin, would the DM use the same chart as a regular undead or equate the paladin's level to hit dice? Should the paladin of any level be treated as special? What if the unholy roller is sufficient level to where a turn would destroy the paladin if successful? Should I toss on a saving throw? Ooh. So that's what he wants to know. Ooh. He's never wow. anything that this, and I've never really noticed it myself, but I would think that a paladin's level would equal his hit dice, so. Yeah, I would think so too. And if that evil cleric is high enough, he could 
have a chance of like destroying a first level paladin, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Then he asked about could you um hmm. this I didn't I didn't think made sense. Could a good cleric use their churning ability to command a paladin like an evil like the evil could control the undead versus destroying them? No, I don't think cl- no, 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 that's not how it works. No. And then he says, oh, that's not even touching the idea of neutral cleric, but a neutral cleric has to pick either one when they first start, so they have to pick one side or the other. They can't just do both. Right. Unless the DM rules it that way, of course. But uh, I, yeah, I would use his level as his hit dice. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I don't think it would be as special on the table. Tim, what do you have to say? I think uh, I, I would go along with the, the hit dice the level of the paladin equal in the hit dice, but I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know if I would allow it either. I mean, if the if the uh, player were playing an evil cleric and really uh, talked to me in advance that I want to use the the turning ability to do this, maybe. But in general, I would say it wouldn't apply to paladins. I would say it wouldn't it wouldn't work that way. I would just say use a spell instead. Cool. All right, our next email. Thanks, Dave the Moderately Nito. Comes in from. DM Kojo. Hey! Doesn't leave a voicemail, but... Uh, At least you wrote in. Yeah. Hey, guys. Wanted your help uh, figuring out a system to tracking some of the smaller details of my adventure. I'm a detailed-oriented DM. Yes, he is a very detailed. I know that from the forums. And I like to prepare very thoroughly for my game. This includes statting out all NPCs, stocking the bookshelves in any room with randomly rolled books, and determining the type of gemstones found in the loot. I hate just saying you find three gems worth 200 gold pieces each. Well, I would never say that anyway. But So I use the tables on pages 25 and 26 of the DMG guide, DMG, to roll up each type of gem, their value, and which I record in my adventure notes. My players and I love this level of detail it brings to the adventure. My problem I run into with gems, magical items, and other valuables is the party gets them and writes them down as loot, but needs outside help or time to appraise the valuables and identify the magic items. When the time finally comes in the adventure to do that, I often find I have forgotten where they have gotten those items from and can't find the values in my notes. Any tips on how to run this without just telling them the value when they find them? Any help is greatly appreciated, DM Kojo. Yeah, that's kind of tough sometimes. Yeah, actually, I have kind of a way around that. Let's say they're, you know, they they killed... Uh, a, a basilisk, okay, and it goes through their treasure, and you find such and such items, and you find a few gems, and maybe a couple potions, and maybe um, a dagger, okay, and they gotta, and they have to, they can't identify any of the stuff, so they're gonna, when they get back to town or wherever, they're gonna identify it then. One of the way things that you could do is it's kind of. It's not necessarily a metagaming thing, but it's at least it's a way of tracking where they found the stuff. Is that you let them know, hey, you found this in uh, area number eight, basilisk. Write that down with next to the loot, so I know where to refer to my notes later on. Okay, you know, and 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 they're fine with that. That's how I usually do it. I usually designate the you know an area on the map. Always it's numbered. Or whatever encounter is, I say, hey, okay, this is an encounter, blah, 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 that you found the stuff. So if you, we get back to it later, let me know, and then I can go through my notes. So that's a good way of referencing it. I do color codes. 
Okay. Like if you find a dagger, a black dagger, blue dagger. It just the color has no real reference to the game. It's just for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they find a gem, I say, okay, it's a green gem, but it's not really a green gem. Just write down green gem. So when they go back later and say, oh, I praise the green gem, I tell them what it's worth and then just mm-hmm. in more detail. So that way I track it that way. Matt? Yeah, for gems, I don't actually bother rolling their value until they try to sell them. I mean, that's my easy fix. I say, you find this many gems. And then if they want a description, I'll describe them, but I don't roll for the... I'll give them like, oh, this one's blue, this one's brown, whatever. That means nothing. Then I roll the value when they actually try to either get them appraised or sell them. As for magic items, however, I tend to be a little stingy at times when handing them out. So usually they're not going to be running around with giant bags of magic items that are unidentified. And the way my players are, too, they typically, the first thing they want to do is figure out what it is. So they, they don't sit on unidentified magic items for long. No. So I really haven't ran into that problem yet. But I, ha- I have ran into the issue with the gems, and where they're finding these gems, and they just have a ton of gems, and they're just sitting on them. Who knows? They, at this point, they might have forgot they had the gems. And it's just tucked away on one of the characters' data on the... Uh, character sheets and it's like oh yeah we have all these gems what are we going to do with them i don't know so but yeah um i like the idea of like either giving them some sort of identifying feature be it color or like maybe this like an ornate uh handle or just something visual that they would notice to ident- to uh identify that you can actually just reference into your notes i, I like that Tim? Uh, as a player and a DM, I think the the whole negotiation and, and trying to sell gems is one of the most boring parts of the game. I just, I, I think that slows the game way down. And so I tend to, and in the games I've played in, um, most other DMs have run it this way with me, they give you base, like a, a, a kind of a set value for the gems. Say they look to be approximately 100 gold pieces worth of gems. And then when you try to sell them, if you get to that point where the DM even requires that, uh, then there might be a negotiation up or down on the value. So really, we try to make that part of the game less uh, time-consuming. Although once in a while, I will throw in some kind of exotic gem, and, and that will have some mysterious allure. So I would say 95% of the time, it's just I tell them the basic gold piece amount so we can move on. And occasionally, there's like a rare thing in there that they've got to check out. For magic items, I'm like Matt. I'm pretty stingy about giving away magic items. And I try to make it – if they find one, they might not know they found one but I will have them write down some description of it in a way that I will remember what that is when they do get it appraised or when they have some somebody use a spell to figure out what it does. Cool. There you go, Kojo. There's uh, some ideas for a tracking system. Take what you need. Okay, her next email comes from DM David D. He just list, finished listening to our Druid issue, and it got him fired up to look at the Druid differently. While listening, it occurred to me that Druid's neutral alignment and the balance of nature attitude is not unlike some of the primitive Native American tribes. They travel with the seasons and migration of the buffalo, place the spiritual value in the nature around them, and they also can be kick-butt warriors. Of course, Native Americans didn't have magic-like Druids, but they did have shamans. It's not not exact, but I thought if a player adopted a Native American attitude instead of a hippie tree hugger, it would make for a much cooler character, like Johnny Depp's character in the new Lone Ranger movie coming out. Or if you even allowed elves to be druids and dyed their skin blue, you can play them like Navi from James Cameron's Avatar. 
maybe I've gone too far. Anyway, keep up the great work. I guess you could do that. Yeah, it's your campaign. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. I, actually, that's a pretty good uh, point you think he made. Yeah. Yeah. So there. Mm. I like it. I like it too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we approve. We approve. I didn't get a hurrumph from that guy. Hurrumph. Right. And our last email, finally. Hello, I recently purchased the first edition AD&D book from eBay, and I managed to convince my group to play this edition. The reason is because the only edition translated in our country was second edition and so on. I started listening to the podcast last year, and I'm a big fan of RFI. I started to build my campaign to the group, and the main evil guy will be an evil druid. Sorry, I had to say it that way. And I was surprised that in this edition, he cannot transform into an animal like other editions. So my question is... Is it listed somewhere that a druid can transform into an animal? Maybe some dragon magazine says otherwise. Thanks for your help. Big time fan. Love you and your staff. <laughs> DM Adriano. E-D-R-I-N-O. Idiano. I don't know. I think so. I'm sorry about that. We have a staff. Yeah. By the way, orcs have pig faces even in our country. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah. We have a staff, and that's you, Nick. You're our staff. Oh. Sweet. And hmm. I guess Matt's our staff too. I'm trying to think, is it? Don't I have to look at the Unearthed Arcana? I couldn't remember. Now I I know they got the Conjuring of Elementals. I know they could control certain animals. I don't remember that when they get up to a high enough level, they they can transform into an animal. Yeah, Which, I'm looking at Unearthed Arcana right now, and I don't see any Druid spells that allow animal transformation. I didn't know if it was a special ability or a uh, um, or a spell. They don't have like polymorph to animal spell at all. Yeah, the ability how second edition has that ability for the druid to actually just transform a shape into a certain type of animal, and as he grows in levels, he can change into different shapes of animals. Well, if it's not basically if it's not in the game and you really want it into the game. Bring yeah, it put some, it in there. Yeah, yeah, bring in some of the stuff from second edition. Yeah, wouldn't hurt. Doesn't matter. It's pr- pretty close. Yeah, that might be like a like a like a class ability. Maybe when they get up to ninth or tenth level, they could start to transform. They could transform into some sort of animal. Maybe you know, once per day, you could turn into a wolf for I don't know a certain amount of time and. Do certain things, and that's a it. There or a wombat. A wombat. I don't know. A wabid wombat. A wabid wombat. Ah, yeah, right. Anyway, okay. I found some. Well, they have the at sixteenth level. They gain the ability to alter appearance at will. Um, with appearance alterations accomplished in one segment with height and weight by fifty percent age. So yeah, basically they can alter themselves. In they like, cannot polymorph per se. Right. No, they can turn into a human or humanoid sort, but doesn't say anything about animal transformation. Right. And that's at sixteenth level. That's that's high level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then they can uh, do some planar travel. They can they can do some crazy stuff at the really high levels. Yeah. But that, like you, like Vince said, if you want to introduce that into your game from second edition, doesn't mean you can't. Right. Yeah. It's your game. Yeah. It's your game. Do what you want, dude. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. 
It's what a lot of newer players seem to forget when they look back at the older editions. It's not in the book. I can't do it. As long as, yeah, as long as you, if you do add it, as long as it makes sense and it doesn't over, it doesn't like throw off the game so much. It comes unbalanced, and, you know. So that's, that's one of the things with playing with kids, uh, whether it's the teenagers in the after school program or my own kids. They are always asking to create their own spells, which I've never seen an adult player in any of my games ever asked to do. Yeah. Huh. Good point. That is true. A lot of players have never seen do that. One player in my group has been asking for that, but like Tim said, not a lot of people do it. But kids just do it naturally. Like, hey, can I do this instead? And then you just kind of make an equivalent based on a power that or a spell that already exists. And sure, why not? You say no. You say no. It's not Zone the DM. Ha ha. It's not allowed. Your imagination is your not your boundary. Uh, no, go play fourth edition. You have all the powers you want then. Thank God. <laughs> Okay, so Sage Advice, RFISTAFF at gmail.com, 570-865-4210, the hotline. Check us out on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash RFIPodcast, website RFIPodcast.com. There's a new article up by DM Harold. Uh, he finally put up the Paladins one. I'm talking about playing Paladins. Pretty interesting. Take a read. And that's that. We'll head into Tale of Manners. Typical. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay. Table manners this week. We're going to talk about the ninja. That is right. So we got to do Tomodachi Konnichiwa. Tomodachi Konnichiwa. Hello, friends in Japanese. Yes. The ninja class, a very difficult class for a lot of DMs to officiate, I should say. Yes. To play. It's also a very difficult class for a player to play, and it can interrupt the adventure quite a bit because there's a lot of secrecy involving a ninja class. Mm -hmm. So if you pick up your Oriental Adventures and pull open the class, you will see that a ninja, not only do you have to qualify for a normal base class that's in the, such as a Wujin or a... uh, was it Bushi? Bushi, yeah, I couldn't think of the name of it. Uh, Bushi, Yakuza. Sohei, uh, Yakuza, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you can't be a samurai because that would be dishonorable and you'd have to kill yourself. But yes. once you qualify for those classes, you have to also qualify to be a ninja, which has a 15, I believe, in two of the abilities and then a 14 in another one. Yeah. I'm just trying to grab the page here. Yeah, page 19. Thank and, you. And you have to have a 14 in dex and charisma and a 15 in intelligence. Yes. So not easy to qualify for. No. So once you do qualify for a ninja, when you're rolling up a ninja, it's a little bit different. So your ninja... Ninjas don't exist in Oriental Adventures officially. Well, officially they're in the book, but as far as the... In the game world, yes. As far as the campaign world, ninjas are a myth, a legend. They're like the stories that they tell the kids, you know, the ninjas will come get you. They're like ghosts, people that... You know, according to the abilities, can go through walls and they can hold their breath and walk on water. It's just like these amazing people, but they really don't exist. They're just stories and legends. Uh, the ninja only gets one to two hit points per level, <laughs> but you get the hit points from your other class, right? Which kind of stinks in a way because you still have to divide it, and then you add your constitution bonus at the end. But you don't get your constitution bonus for your ninja class, though. Right. You only get it for the other class. So, if you're a bushi, you'd be at the base hit points of, uh, what was it, 1D, 5 to, I think it was 
what the example I listed here? One, uh, to one to five for Bushi and one to two for Ninja. So you're anywhere from two to seven. Yeah. So your average hit points starting for solo is two to seven. Yeah. And you get to have uh, proficiencies for a ninja. You can only use ninja-like proficiencies, meaning their weapons. If you use any other proficiency slot to use a ninja ability or weapon, you lose honor. Honor is a big thing for ninjas, apparently. Yeah, apparently so. I guess if you fail a mission, you lose a boatload of honor. Yeah, you reveal you as a ninja. If someone else figures out, for each character that figures out, you lose honor. Yeah, you can. Uh, they can know you're a ninja, but they can't figure out your true identity, or you lose honor. So you're basically like uh, a masked vigilante. Yeah, pretty much. So it's best that you keep yourself secret and and uh, you know, stay in the shadows. Like I, I recently had an online campaign, The Legend of Fin Fang Foom, last year, and I had a player that was playing a ninja, and he actually came up with a pretty interesting concept for a character. It was a uh, female Bushi, uh, and she was kind of from royalty, but she was a ninja in disguise, and she had her throat cut, so she couldn't speak. So he would, you know, use... It was kind of weird how he did it, but he would try to sneak around as a ninja at night. He wound up getting himself killed, because he went off in the middle of the night to do ninja things, and, you know... <laughs> at first level, doing ninja things by yourself, you know, it's not that easy. Hey Vince, I have a question about that. When when that player played the ninja in that campaign, did they play it like straight from this version of the ninja, or did you make any adjustments to the Oriental Adventures rules? I played it straight from this ninja right here. Because there's the other ninja from Dragon Magazine too. Yeah, it predates I, this we'll one. We'll talk that, about that one in a little bit. I'm sure bit. someone will bring up. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh no no yeah. We're, Nick has got that under control. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk about that one. <laughs> uh, I usually stick by the book for the ninja class because I feel it's balanced as enough compared to the other classes in the setting. The only thing there's it kind of, I'm going to say from experience, I'll talk about from experience. In the past, DM have trouble running this class, and I had a little trouble running this class in the past because for the ninja to get experience, he has to do ninja things or go on missions and use his skills as a ninja. If he doesn't use those, he doesn't gain experience in that class. He only gains experience in his base class. So as a DM, you have to not only create your adventure, you have to create a side adventure in the adventure for the ninja. Yeah, that could be a real pain. Yeah, otherwise, unless your player is running around at night saying, oh, well, he's going to go sneak around and do this, and that, you know, you're going to have a lot of side adventures with this player during the adventure. Yeah. So a lot of DMs don't let characters play ninjas. Right, and I, it seems perfect for a solo adventure, but within a campaign with other players, it seems really tough to manage. It's kind of like playing the assassin class, but having a lot of trouble playing the assassin class. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Yeah. I've played the assassin class, and... I kind of just stuck to the whole thing. I'm a merchant running around, and when I was able to attack, I just kind of used my attacks and say, oh, yeah, I'm skilled in swords. So, I don't know. Uh, as far as the ninja's ability, they have a lot of the same abilities as a thief. They also have a lot of the same abilities as a uh, thief acrobat. And they have the assassinate ability. And as they go up in levels, they have the special key, which all Oriental Adventure classes get a special key-type power where they can focus their yes. energy. The ninja starts by uh, holding his breath at first level. At fifth level, he can walk across smooth water for short distances per level. And then at 12th level, (laughs) 
he's able to pass through walls. I don't know where that came from the Ninja Legends. <laughs> I don't remember that in Ninja Legends, but it's like the ghost. Yeah, I guess ghost power. Yeah, I guess Gary decided that hey, why not there are myths and legends and ghosts, why not pass through walls? So Of course. I don't know. The class is a difficult class to go on levels. For, is it 4,000 experience points for first level to second level? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Especially, yeah, going. especially when you're splitting your experience points with your other class. Well, you're not actually splitting it with your other class because if you read the actual ninja rules, you don't split it. The DM is entitled to give separate experience points for each class. Okay. So if you do ninja things throughout the adventure, he can give you a couple hundred points, and that's just ninja experience. Right. And so, as opposed to the 700 you, the, everybody gets for the normal adventure. Okay. So, yeah, you only get experience for doing ninja things, no matter what else you may have been doing. So you, you, it'll be very slow-moving, considering 4,000 experience is on the high end of advancement for classes in general. I'm just looking at the experience points that you need to get to, like, say, ninth level. As a ninja, you need a half a million. Most other classes, it's half that they reach ninth level. Uh, the ninja can also use any uh, armor that their class allows them to, but when they're doing ninja-like things, they cannot use the armor, so they have to take it off. And pretty much getting the... You could describe it as the traditional ninja garb with a mask and everything, or you can have it a different way with the hood. Mm-hmm. That's how you want to play your character, mostly. Hey, I have a question about how you've done experience points on this, Vince. And I don't know if you got other guys have been in this situation. So let's say you have a ninja in your campaign, and he has this ongoing mission that he's been given uh, by the head of the family. But right now he is just infiltrating this campaign group, and so he's in disguise. So he's using his ninja ability of disguise to just go along with this campaign, and then he might sneak out at night to go assassinate somebody. But would you give him experience for all the stuff he does while he's in disguise because that's using his ninja ability? That's a good question. And I would say I'd have to look over to the disguise ability and let's see what his disguise pretty much is. See, at first level, it would be kind of hard to do that, though. Keep up with disguise all day long like that. Right. At 20% at first level, even with the DM modifier, because numbers aren't final, but... Yeah, and the special ability really applies to trying to pass as, like, a merchant or peasant, so I guess it's just a short-term disguise, the way it's written. Yeah, I mean, if he masks as a, as a bushi all day long, then I don't see there be... I don't see... Yeah, I wouldn't give experience for that, probably, unless he, like you said, came in as a merchant and tried to pull off the whole merchant thing all day long, but then as soon as he started attacking and... <laughs> yeah, right. Do this and that, the group's gonna go. Wait a minute, and then you probably have to do some rolling. And so, uh, I've never had someone do that because uh, I don't want to disturb the party flow. So, right. yeah, but it's a good, good thing going on there. Yeah, I like the idea. So anyway, well, that's that class based off of Oriental Adventures. Now, Nick, you have the Dragon Magazine one in front of you. Yeah, I sure do. Now, the original Ninja class, I guess the original original Ninja class for D&D first came out. Let's go back in our let's go back in our way back machine, the July of 1978. Issue number 16 of Dragon Magazine. A fellow by the name of Sheldon Price. Cooper? No, oh. not Sheldon Cooper. Sorry. Might might as well have been. But uh introduced the Ninja to D&D to much of my hatred. 
(laughs) (laughs) Now, the Oriental Adventures Ninja compared to this one is tame compared to the one in Dragon Magazine. Yeah. They nerfed it. Between the two, it's like, boy, did they nerf it. Because, now, I also got to let you know, the ninja, as designed originally in Dragon Magazine by this person, was an NPC class. It was not to be meant to be run as a player character. That's why when you look at the article, there's no experience point levels. But it's sick. I'm just picturing this guy who's sitting out. It's like, how am I going to make the coolest character class on the planet? I'm going to combine, you know, basically. <laughs> Is that how he sounds, Nick? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't care. I, I, I hate this character class because it's combining the combination of samurai, monk, thief, and assassin. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they the have a comparison how the ninja works in, as this class was. They advance in combat as a fighter. They they have saving throws as a fighter. <laughs> but they do open hand attacks as a monk. <laughs> they have assassination ability. Uh, what's some other things they can do? They are a special oriental subclass of assassin. They have trained since youth to be the master of arts and ninjutsu. Uh, it makes it their alignment is strictly neutral. This means they're rather that rather than worrying about grand cosmic balances, a ninja is interested in only what is good for himself. This makes it virtually impossible for a ninja to change in alignment, and they are incorruptible in matters of alignment. Uh, are you already see problems happening here? Yeah. Uh, they are. Let's see. In encounters involving a ninja with another being. There's an automatic 20% chance that the being or thing encounter will consider the ninja to be its own alignment. Uh, a ninjas are able to simultaneously use with no drawbacks if he makes the right roles, swords of law, neutrality, and chaos. Ooh, the infamous swords. That means uh, if they're you know intelligent swords, they have an alignment, he can use any alignment he wants. Yep. Yeah, it's broken. Uh, here's it. This is where it gets funny. Non-human and female ninja exist, though they are rare. Elves, dwarves, halflings, and humans may become ninja. Now picture yourself a dwarven ninja. <laughs> exactly. Now everybody start laughing. Uh, they are not limited in race. They may not be multi-classed. Oh, big deal. They have good night vision. At first level, they can see clearly at night 30 feet. Ninja class has the ability for night vision? Yes, the class. (laughs) The class. So So if you're a human, you you have night vision at 30 feet. So what, do they burn his eyes and the ability shows up? At sixth level, increases to 60 feet. They are surprised as monks, too. (laughs) The monks are probably surprised by them, too. Yeah, they they have the same surprise. uh, They... As far as monks getting surprised, they have that same ability. They are able to simulate death, lower body temperature, slowing heartbeat. Uh, they can travel up to 50 miles per day at second level. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, it gets better. Higher than six, they go 75 miles a day. Tenth level, 100 miles a day. This distance may be traveled without unduly tiring the ninja. I'm like, oh, it, 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 oh my God. I read through this thing. 
and it gets into the poisons and he has some similar ability as like the ninja's nibbleness like you know how monks have that special ability like they could dodge fireballs yeah they have something similar to that too yeah they save his uh, magician of one level higher versus spells yeah except hobbits and dwarves do not add the four levels yeah. Yeah, since yeah, since they get the bonus versus spell, they don't get the ninja added bonus. How, yeah. And ninja know how to use all weapons. Right. This is but, the most broken class on the planet. Right. Once My you, favorite part of this of this article is where it has the detection of the ninja section. Yeah. <laughs> and it says as most of the ninjutsu consists of trained reflexes, it's possible for these reflexes to cause himself to cause him to betray himself. This should be done at the discretion of the Game Master. If a Game Master should decide that this has happened, he should never simply say, he's a ninja. Instead, he should say something more like, he avoided that rock, very nimbly. It should be done this way to avoid having players throw rocks at everyone they meet. Yeah. (laughs) He's a ninja. Throw a rock at him. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm just trying to picture the person who made this, like, oh, my God, I'm going to make the ultimate character class on the planet. I'm going to take Monk and Assassin, and he's going to make, he's going to dodge fireballs. Yeah. It's going to be so cool. What year was this written at? 1978. Ugh. Yeah. And then it's hit, oh. hit dice. Are... Oh, the hit dice are crazy. Yes. They, they actually go up incrementally. Right. You don't increase just the number of dice. But the type of dice. The type of die. So first level, you have one D4 hit dice. Oh, that's zero. That's at zero level. Yeah. First level, you get one D6. It's a D6 all the way up to eighth level, where you it's a D8. 78. 78. <laughs> then a 10 D6 at ninth level. Then 9d8 at 10th level. It's weird how the hit dice go. Yeah, then 11, 6d12 plus a d8. 12, 6d12 plus 2d8. Then it goes 7d12, 1d8. 8d12. You get used out of that d12 the higher up you go. Yeah, yeah. It's like written to have like the ultimate bad guy on every encounter to fight the party. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah really. Thank God it was an NPC class, but I have a story that I'll be a little amendum to, addendum to that. <clears throat> anyway, uh, and their equipment. I love this one. The dart shuriken. <laughs> they resemble long nails. They attack as plus two daggers. Whoa. Yeah, when they <laughs> use against chain... The chain is considered to give protection equal to leather. Whoa. The shuriken slips in between the links of the chain and and is slowed only by padding underneath, which is treated as leather. The shuriken does a basic D6 point of damage against a man-sized target. So that's just some of their equipment. I'm like, look at this dark shuriken. I'm like, really? I mean, come on. I can't believe that Gygax and Cask would let this go through as an article. Uh, oh, and it gets better because there was another one called the New Improved Ninja. Oh, even better. Great. Yeah, in October 1979. Is it written by the same guy? Yes. <laughs> Go on. But just more weaponry, like a cannon. Yeah. A cannon? A, yes, a he, cannon. He pulls a ninja cannon out of his backpack? A ninja cannon. A cannon may also be used. The cannon is a wooden tube about eight inches 
in outside diameter, six inches inside, and 30 inches long. Fires a spherical metal projectile about 60 feet in a low, flat trajectory. It may hit more than one target when fired. Sweet. The ninja could fire it while holding it in his hands, standing up. The tube may be used no more than three times. It takes two gold pieces and one week to make the tube. Really? Be it takes ten... The ground. Yeah. <laughs> the thing would launch out of his hands... 30 inches. But this is the ultimate class. Don't you understand? <laughs> this was made. Yeah. Yeah. I want. Sheldon, shame on you. Shame on you for making this class. Even Sheldon Cooper wouldn't like this guy. Mr. Price, shame on you. Naughty. Naughty. Yeah, we should find this guy and, like, say, what the heck was wrong with you? Like, what the hell? What were you smoking? Hope he's listening. I mean, this is like. Thank God it was just an NPC. Yeah, yeah. Imagine this was a PC class, is this? Oh, but I have a story about that. Yeah, please go on with your story. I'm... Oh, yes. When I was my in my youth, way back in 1900, huh? Uh, what was that, 100 and what? 1980-something or another. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember this guy who was, I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it seemed like every single time he would, whatever character he played, it was like, Slash ninja, Ugh. like magic is your slash ninja, fighter slash ninja. I'm like, where is he getting this ninja class thing from? I'm like, what? and he was really a creepy guy too. He'd wear like those ninja sock shoe thingies. And... Really? Yeah. So he was obsessed with ninjas. Yeah, he was a really big guy too. Okay. But it, it, I'm like, and no one wanted to play with him. But anyway. <laughs> That yeah, the Dragon Magazine article will put you in nerd rage for about an hour, and then you'll get over it. <laughs> I, I just look back and I laugh, and I was laughing when I was reading it. I'm like, really? <laughs> this thing is so powerful. It's sick. I think what's interesting about the article, though, about that that version of the class, is that it's based more on the historical ninja than on yeah. like the Hollywood ninja. The Oriental right. Adventures one is like the Hollywood ninja where yeah. they're wearing the yeah. black costume and, and walking on yeah. tight ropes. Fighting this Chuck Norris in the octagon, yeah. <laughs> this one's more like the historical ninja where it wasn't a guy who was wearing that little black mask. He was dressed like somebody else, but he would just secretly kill people using poison. Right. And so I like that aspect of it, that it's you actually use the weapons of the class that you're disguised as, but you also have this other ninja side. However, it's super overpowered, and it is called oh, the DM's Hitman in the article title. Yeah. yeah, which, yeah, in all, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that that is the DM's Hitman. It's just, yeah. come on. I mean, a regular high enough assassin might be good enough, but this is just sick and scary. <laughs> sick and scary, okay. When you guys run your campaigns, don't I've found this. Uh, I find that people who play Thieves tend to play them as if they're playing ninjas anyway. Not the class ninja, but like the movie ninjas, because they're always like climbing snuff stuff and sneaking around and trying to trying to assassinate people from behind. Like thieves in D D seem a lot like Hollywood ninjas to me, the way they're played. Yeah. Some people do that. Yeah. Wasn't there a movie Hollywood Ninja? Yeah. With <laughs> Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Yeah, or Beverly like Hills that. Ninja. Beverly Hills Ninja, yes. Yeah. That's basically every thief character I played. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Farley's Beverly Hill Ninja. Uh, but if you want to have a laugh, try to find um, July 1978, number 16, The Ninja, and also 
October 1979, number 30 of Dragon Magazine, yeah. the new improved ninja, improved my left yeah, but, facing fighter. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just the same stuff. He just added like more poison. Right. Uh, like a cannon. Right. Yeah. I like the healing skills. It's Ninja Doctor. Ninja Doctor, yes. Yes. Dr. Ninja healing powers. Yes, he's clapping of the hands. Yeah, they're able to learn to treat any one disease for 10 gold. Um, He gains the ability to heal two hit points a day. I mean... A day. A day. Great. Yeah. Also, you can find him, uh, I'm looking at him, actually, in Best of Dragon, Volume 2. So if you have that stashed away... Yeah, read through that. Get a laugh. Have a beer. Sit down. Drink that. And just go. <laughs> what was this guy thinking? <laughs> or, or have your players fight a clan of them. I mean, they would oh, never. Sh- they would never expect the Dragon Magazine Ninja to attack them. I would rather fight ten Oriental Adventure Ninjas than <laughs> one Dragon Magazine Ninja any day. Hey, <laughs> that's what you could do. You could stick one of these chasing the party. Oh. <laughs> There's a hit put out on him. You know what? Make it a halfling. Yes. The ultimate snub right there. Make it like a 16th level Dragon Magazine ninja halfling. Yes. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Right. That would be funny. I think I'm almost, I've never, I have actually, I don't remember looking at the second edition ninja. I think might have cleared up a little bit as far as balancing issues, but I can't remember it offhand. I have to look that up after the show. Ask that goes hammer people about it, but yeah, ninja blah. <sighs> it's like those people that like to play. What is that combination, Nick? That Munchkin combination is it an Elven Ranger, Elven Ranger Druid, like Angel, yeah, with Thief and Cleric added in there or something. Or well, you can play a Elven uh, Druid Magic user. Yeah, I just like the people. I'm going to play this, so I have everything. It's like uh, okay. Munchkin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Any closing remarks on ninjas? Anything we didn't cover, guys? Uh, not that I could think of, besides the Dragon Magazine one is evil. <laughs> is there anything in White Dwarf that anyone remembers? No. Right? Not that I am no. aware of. I didn't see no. it when I was looking through White Dwarf, so. Who knows? Maybe there is, and I missed it. Blah. I know there was nothing in the Polyhedron magazines. I have those. See how stealthy they are? You can't find them anyplace else. <laughs> yeah. Tim, anything to add? No, I, I, I would just like to add that besides thieves being ninja-like, when my son creates characters, he often uh, creates ninjas. Even when we're playing something like Mutants and Masterminds, he basically creates a superhero that has ninja powers. And it's closer to the Dragon Magazine version, I'll be honest. <laughs> but that's in a superhero campaign. That's okay. And that's a little kid making a ninja superhero. Because sooner or later, he's going to run into Doctor Doom, and it's just all over. <laughs> yeah. So you're, take it to your kids at your gaming group and see what they have to say about the Dragon Magazine ninja. Yeah, see, oh, yeah, you got a really cool super ninja? Meet Galactus. Yeah. <laughs> right. Bring he up, eats planets. Bring it to them and see what they say and then get back to us. I'd like to see what their opinion on it. Will do. I'll do some research. Yeah, that would be okay. good. You have an assignment. You're our field reporter now. Okay. <laughs> this is Tim reporting live. From... <laughs> live from the elementary school. And what do the kids say? This is so awesome! <laughs> this little kid named Sheldon said he loves this class. No, <laughs> Sheldon Price Jr. No kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's how we play Ninja. Let's head over to Treasure Chest. You have opened the Treasure Chest. You may choose an item. 
And now we're in the treasure chest, and we're going to go and talk about a spell from Oriental Adventures that uh, is rather fitting of the ninja theme. Because it has sword in the title and darkness, the sword of darkness. This would actually be a way to deal with the... uh, The ninja. Yeah, the ninja, the dragon magazine ninja. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, because you see, this spell requires you to have a sword as one of the spell components. And it creates a sword that will generate uh, jet black pure evil. Evil. Yes. Because when cast, this the sword can only attack one creature. But, um, yeah, when it hits, the sword temporarily drains one to three levels or hit dice of the creature. So, yeah. yeah. This is for all the people that ever wanted to get back at a DM that level, sent some level-draining undead against them. Like vampires. Yes. Vampires. That would actually be interesting. You use this against vampires, and you just have a level drain off to see who falls first. (laughs) (laughs) A first-level vamp. You start out both 10th level, and now you're down to both first level from the brutality of it. Vampire gets baby fangs back. Yeah. Yeah, the... You also take the damage from the sword itself, too. So whatever the sword was, you're taking that damage in addition to it. When the victim, though, is reduced to zero levels, much like what happens to other characters when they get reduced to level zero by undead, they come back in three days as a Kui. So, yeah. This is what a, is the Kui? It, it, let's see. See monster section. So let's go to the monster section. It's a fruit that's green. Oh, that's an avocado. Oh, that's kiwi. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. Yes. Come kiwi. back as a kiwi fruit? Yes, you do. You come back as a kiwi fruit, and you I fight like the lesser part. The kiwi is a demon ghost. Yes. So, yes. You oh, can... okay. Yeah, so basically you're creating undead, which okay. at that point will probably come after you. <laughs> it's just wacky. So, yes, yeah. you're creating more villains for you to fight by killing villains with this sword. But fortunately, though, the levels are temporary, so they only last one round per level of the uh, caster. So if you can extend the uh, combat for a while, you can... Well, this is a Wujin spell, so this is going to last at least 11, 12 rounds, right? Right. So basically after the encounter, you'll get your levels back if you survive. But not your spells. If you lost your spells, they have been wiped clean from the character's mind. Yes, because you have to remember, when you lose your levels, it also says to adjust your hit points and everything else, too. So your saves will drop, your total number of hit points drop, which leads to that ever-messy question of how do you keep track of, when you're like 8th level, how much hit points you gain per level? (laughs) I'm just thinking... How many of you see Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie? Oh, I yes. have. You know the part where the uh, the mutant is getting hit over the head? Uh-huh. <laughs> Boom! Oh, there goes the adolescence! Boom! Oh, I can't remember my dad! So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I keep on thinking of like, the level dragon is how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, poof! You lose all the... All your experience, all your levels, you're down to your level one, then about five minutes later, oh, I feel better! But yeah, I forgot everything. Oh, then I brought it all back. Okay, right. 
So yeah, if you can just get a couple hits off with the sword, this sword, you're going to drop most things. Yeah, so just pure nasty, and it's strictly evil, so I wouldn't want players running around casting it unless they were evil as well. Or if they're running up against a D&D ninja from yeah. Dragon Magazine. Then it would be expected. <laughs> Because yeah. I, I could see, almost see using this spell being dishonorable for the more good and lawfully aligned people. Yeah, because it does say it radiates evil when it's created, right? Right. So I, I would say this would be like besmirch your family's uh, reputation, especially if it was cast, you were seen wielding this sword in front of others. Like if you're in, fighting off like an attack in a town and the uh, villagers see you wielding this evil weapon. To be like this uh, would, this would be something you use against the big bad evil guy right at the very end. Right. Yeah. This isn't just something you're going to go running around casting willy nilly. Yeah. Because otherwise there will be repercussions, like a lot of lot of uh, undead coming after you. Because at that point, all, everything you've killed with the sword, I would probably just have start stalking you. Yeah, because they're very unhappy. Right. They'd be. You'd be rather angry if you got level drained to zero <laughs> and three days later came back. As a evil undead thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would be a bit put out. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I just I just found it just totally uh, wacky. And, hey, I can just start level draining things right and left. Yeah. It's just. That's I like, love the material component. It's a katana or a longsword. Right. Yeah. Because you're imbuing this evil power into it. Evil. So, yes. Now, however, though, I could see the big bad using it against the players. Sure. Right. Especially if you set it up to where maybe the first set of uh, guards were sent out by the local nobility to uh, find said big bad and bring him to justice only to never return, at which point you're also fighting them as the undead as well. So you you can actually kind of uh, add in the minions rather easily with it. Yes, the mini onions. Yes. So, yes, Sword of Darkness, very fun spell. Yes, so go th- wield it. Just use it appropriately, like at ninjas. <laughs> it's also way more powerful than any other six-level spell in the book. Mm-hmm. So Right. Yeah, a lot more powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It- yeah, it, it's kind of like when we were talking about the creeping doom of the druid. It's just like seventh level to do a thousand hit points, really. <laughs> so yeah, just yeah, it, it, this it, it, breaks right up there with creeping doom. Yes, it does. As an eleventh level uh, wujin in your sixth level spell, you could part water, speak with the undead, or cast a giant sword of darkness. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Speak with undead. Speak with undead. <laughs> oh yes. Well, actually, after you kill them with the Sword of Darkness, you can talk to them. You can talk. You can I talk feel bad. Them. I'm sorry. You can taunt them. You can taunt, you can taunt them. them. Oh, even worse. Right. Uh, you kill them, then you go. Then you part the water as they're chasing you. Oh, <laughs> and then, you then unpart it and flood them. But they're ghosts, so it doesn't matter. No, yeah, they're non-corporal creatures. Yep. Yeah. All right, so I guess we'll close the treasure chest this week. <laughs> yeah. I forgot the bumper to that one. I don't know what it was. I think it was a Zelda sound. Yes, it was a creaking of a chest. And From the original Zelda game. Yeah, yes. that's right. Awesome. I went around looking for that forever and found it. But anyway. uh, A friend of mine actually used that sound at his wedding when he opened up the uh, case that was holding his ring. 
though. Mm. You could buy cases like that that have the sound effect in it. Oh, awesome. Wow. That someone built an actual treasure chest and put the sound in it, so when his group opened it up, it went... It was really cool. Yeah. Anyway. I guess that's going to wrap up the show this week. Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. So, everybody uh, hate the Dragon Magazine Ninja? Say I. I. <laughs> L. Oh, sorry. What? I don't know. Let me thank Tim for stopping by. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. And, uh, Tim, you write uh, comicbookresources.com, right? Yep, comic book resources, when words collide every Monday, and tour.com every Monday. We have a column called Advanced Readings in D&D. Awesome. I'm going to read that one. That sounds really cool. Yeah, definitely throw up the link so Matt can throw it in our show notes yeah. here in Skype chat. and uh, Will do. I think we'll have to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, Bye everyone. Roll for initiative.